All right, thanks, guys. Okay, in just a moment, we're going to uh, be opening up the New Testament. For those of you that have been doing Read the Bible through this year, we have been in the Old Testament since, gosh, how many years? I mean, it's back in January. And now we are finally at the point this week in our readings where we're going to be in the New Testament. And so uh, we want to encourage you to get a Bible, open it up. We'll be looking at the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. So you'll have to multitask today, find two different passages and mark them, and you'll be ready to read along with me in just a moment. Now, some of you uh, have been a little bit lost in our readings across these past few months. And so let me just encourage you to uh, make a commitment today. Let me encourage you, now that we are about to embark on New Testament readings, to jump in there with us. We're going to be doing that from now until Christmas. And if you will join in there with us between now and Christmas, you will have read the entire New Testament. And that's no small thing. And it's uh, the exposure to what we'll be finding in these Jesus stories and in the stories of the early church that will uh, have such meaningful and deep impact for you. So let me encourage you to do that. Now, on the back side of your connection card is a little space that says, I'm making this commitment. Let me encourage you to make a firm commitment to Christ that you're going to read the New Testament beginning this week until the end of the year. Use the reading plan that we've been making available to you. If you don't have that, you can find it on our website. All that information is in the program today. And get in there with us, okay? Uh, so, all of that was for free. Let's have a word of prayer. And uh, then we want to get into what God wants to say to us this morning, all right? Let's pray. So, Father, we are dependent upon You. We need You. We need a word from You today. So, would You give us ears to hear and a mind that can comprehend and a heart that is responsive? And would You be so good as to speak? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, there are a lot of stories that uh, fit that category that we would call uh, truth is stranger than fiction. And one of those happened this past July. There was uh, a situation on a beach in Florida where a man found himself in trouble and he began to drown. And some bystanders began to yell at the lifeguard, man's out here drowning. The lifeguard leaves his post he runs to the shore and leaps into the water. He uh, rescues this guy, brings him to shore. Uh, much to the gratitude and relief of friends and loved ones and all the onlookers. And so uh, on one level, uh, everyone there that's witnessing this is looking at uh, this 21-year-old guy as a hero. However, his employer, the person that's hired him to be a lifeguard there, fired him. As I said, truth can be stranger than fiction. You go, what? That's crazy. Why would, you know, you fire a lifeguard for going out and saving somebody? And the fact of the matter was, he was working and stationed on a private beach. And this guy that got in trouble and was drowning was just a few yards down from the boundaries of this private beach. So, having left his post to go out and to save this guy who's drowning, he was considered to be derelict 
for what he had been hired to do. The people he'd been hired to watch had nobody watching them for those moments of him saving someone else. And so his employer fired him. Abandoning his post. I uh, sometimes look at stuff that goes on in our world and I'm like, what in the world? How have we come to this? But it also raised the question for me, have you ever been close to drowning? Have you ever been in that scenario yourself? It is a scary, scary thing if you've ever truly been in danger in that kind of way. Several years ago when I was little, my family went across the river from Memphis to a lake in Arkansas. We were having a, a full day picnicking and, and playing in the water in the lake and swimming. And we had family and friends and so on around. And uh, we were having a great time. And as the day wore on, I had just kind of wandered a little bit uh, away from where my group was. And as can be the case in lakes, I'm playing around in shallow enough water that I can stand in, but as I continue to move around, I step off of a sandbar or some kind of shelf, and immediately I was in water over my head, and I already knew how to swim. My, my parents had made sure that as a little guy I had taken swimming lessons and so on like that, but it happened so quickly and I began to swallow water so fast and so much, uh, I was immediately panicked and I could not do anything to help myself. And I was flailing and swallowing water and I was going down and I had absolutely no hope. I mean, I'm convinced there, I would have drowned and died that day. But just as quickly as I found myself in peril, there was a hand that reached and grabbed me by the arm and pulled me up and got me back to a place where I could stand. And I'm coughing and hacking and blowing water out. And I mean, I'm just, I'm an awful mess. And I'm looking at this guy and I have no clue who he is. Just some guy nearby saw I was in trouble, grabbed me and saved me. I, I share that with you because... I was in danger of drowning and I didn't even know it. It only took one more step and I was gone. And I was in a helpless predicament, absolutely dependent on another to come to my rescue, another to come and save me. And friends, that is exactly what the Bible says is the state of every man, woman, and child that draws breath on this planet. We are all drowning in what the Bible calls sin. And, it, and the Bible says it's kind of like a, a, a water level, think back to the days of Noah, that has risen to such height every person on the planet is drowning and it is in a hopeless predicament unless someone comes alongside and rescues. Someone comes alongside and saves. And the Bible says... That's what Jesus has done. So the bad news is the, the tide of sin is at such a level for each and every one of us. I don't care how good you are compared to someone else. You are drowning in sin. The Bible says you will perish in that sin. There is no hope for you about that sin unless and except the Savior saves you. Bad news, sin is real and it's devastating. It's deadly. Good news, God is real, and He is working to save. And we're going to be talking about that today and the next few weeks.
So to do that, we're going to look at uh, the Gospels that I mentioned to you just a moment ago. John chapter 1, Luke chapter 2. And the first thing that I want us to see as we're looking in John chapter 1 is this gift of presence. Gift of presence. Now, in my predicament, when I was a little kid drowning, you could have thrown me a life ring and it would have made no difference. You could have thrown me a line. It would have made no difference. I was already beyond being able to be helped by that. I had to have the presence of someone else in the water with me that could get a gra- grab hold of my life and pull me out. And that is the, the state of all of us. And the good news is that Jesus is the very presence of God to save us, to grab hold of our lives in that kind of way. Look with me in chapter 1 of uh, the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word. Now, we just finished a lot of Old Testament readings, and it began with Genesis 1-1 that said, In the beginning, God created. Well, as we get into the New Testament, we have a similar kind of beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Wow. Move on down with me to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so in these opening verses, what John, uh, the Gospel of John has sought to uh, make clear to us is that when Jesus comes on the scene into this world, that's not when He begins to exist. What He seeks to make clear to us is that Jesus is God. And He's the very Word of God. The, in the beginning, Genesis 1, when God brought into creation all that there is, He's spoken into creation. The, the Word of God created. And John, the Gospel writer, says that's the very person of God Himself that speaks that Word into creation. And He's the one that holds life. And He has seen fit to make His residence among us. The Word became flesh. The big theological word for that is incarnation. The Word became flesh. God became a man. He became somebody just like you and somebody just like me. And as we'll continue to read in these pages, we will see that uh, He's raised by his, his mother Mary and His stepfather, if you will, Joseph, uh, with God being His true father. And he's raised with brothers, and he's raised in the family business, and he learns the trade of being a carpenter. He uh, attends synagogue. He uh, studies and practices faith and worships and serves God. And then uh, we begin to see him launch into a ministry around the age of 30 where he begins to go about the mission that uh, was his for coming into this world. He is present and with us. And He continues to be present and with us today to save. 
But the second thing that I want you to see out of this, when I was in my predicament, I not only needed somebody that was present with me to be able to grab hold of me and to save me, I needed him to have the initiative. I needed him to see that I was in my predicament and to pursue me and to save me. And that's exactly what that man did that day that I did not know. Now, I don't know about you, but there has been a time in my life when I have been totally, absolutely, completely lost. Now, that's kind of hard to do today. Today, you know, you've got GPS on your phone or you've got a GPS watch or you've got a cell phone that you can, you know, I don't know where I am and somebody can kind of talk you out of it and all that kind of thing. Uh, but before all that, in the dark ages, uh, I was serving a church in Tennessee as a pastor and I had a church member who invited me over for a visit to his place. Now, my first pastorate um, was way out in the country. I mean, it's out of the country. And I, I was a city boy. I'd grown up in Memphis, and I was about two hours outside of Memphis in this little community that literally was 11 miles from the nearest town. And that nearest town was a, a population of 3,000. Are you getting the picture? I mean, this is a small place, and everybody out there is a farmer. Uh, you can imagine the comedy of my serving that church because I had no clue about farming. They had fun with me all the time. So anyway, uh, this guy invites me to his home, and I'm going to have lunch with him after a uh, Sunday worship gathering. And so uh, the service is over. I say goodbye to everybody. I leave the church building. I start heading to his house that he's given me directions to. And he's a farmer, <laughs> and he lives way out in the, in the backside of nowhere. So literally, you leave a, a paved road. You get on a dirt road, kind of a gravel thing, and it's lined on both sides uh, at that time of the year with uh, fully grown corn that's ready to be harvested. And, you know, every turn you make, all you see is dirt road and, and rows of corn. Are, are you finding out that there's no markers there for me to know where the heck I am? And so I'm driving this road, and he says, now, when you get down to this barn, uh, so-and-so, you know, turn. Well, I can handle that. I mean, you can recognize the barn, right? So I make my turn, and I get down. And he goes, now when you get down to where so-and-so used to live, that house ain't there no more because the storm blew it away. Turn. <laughs> and so I'm going down the road, and I'm like, where, where's this house that used to be there? You know, so there's no sign of it. And so I make a turn at this place, and I make a turn at that place, and... I am so lost and everything looks like everything. I cannot even backtrack to get back to the paved road where I originally left. There's no power. I mean, there's, there's not even a plane that flies over. There. I, don't, I don't have anything. I am hopeless. I'm finally like, you know, the ultimate male uh, humility point. If I can just find a farmhouse, I'm going to stop. I'm going to ask for a direction. I'm going to use a phone or something. I couldn't find a farmhouse. I, I literally was out there for about an hour. Now, you can imagine this guy's home waiting for me for lunch that his wife has prepared. And he's like, where is that preacher? You know, he finally gets in his car and he comes for me. And I'm driving down this road that probably I've been down ten times. And I see his car coming at me in the distance. And I'm simultaneously relieved I'm going to get some help. And at the same time, oh, no. And, and he's going to know how awful I am about directions here. 
But anyway, uh, I went to the house. I had their very late lunch, spent a little time with them. And then for me to leave, he got in his car and I followed him out until I got to a paved road. Man, that's lost. That's lost. And the Bible says that's how all of us are with respect to life. We are lost to God. We are lost to His purposes. We are lost to the meaning of life. We are lost for the reason of our existence. Lost, 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 lost. And we are hopeless to find it. We'll go through every kind of maze. We'll chase every kind of thing that looks like a glimmer of hope. And we are hopeless to find it unless He finds us. And the Bible says the good news is He's looking for us. He's pursuing us. He's coming after us so that we can be found in our lostness. Now look with me on down uh, toward the end of chapter 1 of, of John's Gospel. I already forgot what verse I was going to look at. Verse 19. So, <laughs> this is, uh, has to do with John the Baptist, not to be confused with John the Gospel writer. So if you're looking with me in verse 19, so this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Now there's a great question. John the baptizer was a distant cousin of Jesus who had launched into a ministry before Jesus' ministry had been launched. And his ministry was basically this. The Savior's coming. The Messiah is coming. The day for God to save people is coming. It's happening now. We've been waiting for all these generations and centuries for it to happen right now. In fact, the first time that we began to get a clue that God was going to do this through the birth of a child to a virgin... Uh, in Bethlehem and so on, is 800 years before Jesus through the prophet Isaiah that you read about just a few weeks ago. In that same spirit, John the baptizer is conducting a ministry, but uh, some of the religious people don't have a clue about what he's doing. And so they say to him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, well then, are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? I am not. So they said to him, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So, friends, here's what's been happening for a long time. Hundreds and hundreds of years. God has been raising up prophets to be a voice. To say, God saves. God is sending a Savior. God is pursuing you and making the way for you to be able to have life. And life that's full of meaning. Life that's full of purpose. Life that is as God designed it to be. And John the baptizer was one in a series of those voices. And there have been many voices since then. And for some of you, and we were talking about this in our conversation with Laurie a moment ago, for some of you, a parent has been a voice 
that God has used began to draw your heart to Him. For others, He's used another family member or some kind of friend as a voice to begin to kind of touch your heart about your need for His saving work. For others, He's used some kind of church leader or a pastor or a camp speaker or something like that. These are God's pursuits of you. Giving you a voice, a voice, a voice, a voice. Calling, come, come. Follow me, know me. Do life with me. Surrender to me. Which leads me to say in the final place, that is our gospel promise. And if you did not know, the word gospel means good news. That is our good news promise. That God loves us, that God pursues us, that God has done everything necessary to save us. Let's look at some of the most familiar verses in the Bible to you in Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 8. Now in that same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news. I bring you a gospel of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel, multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. The gospel promised that He would not only be present with us, pursuing us in our lostness, but that He would promise to take care of our sin problem. He's a Savior. And as we're going to find out in the weeks to come, we'll, we'll unpack it in more detail, that Jesus not only was with us and pursuing us, but He was living that perfect, sinless life. He was a human like us, facing every kind of trial and temptation and challenge that you and I face, yet He never sinned. And thereby was the perfect offering that would pay the penalty of our sins. In other words... He jumped into the water, saved us from drowning in our sin at the cost of His own life. Also, this past July, there's a story that came out of China about a guy by the name of Jin, Ding Jinji. And Ding had been out uh, walking around a little river uh, near his neighborhood with his dogs. And there was a family, a mom and dad and a little kid, playing in the river. And suddenly they got in trouble. There was always little swirling uh, tides that happened there. And there was all kinds of uh, moss and grassy things, you know, under the water. And, and they were getting all tangled up. And the next thing you know, they were drowning. And they began to call out for help. They couldn't help themselves or their child. And Ding jumped in and began to free them up and get them to shore and to save them. But in the process of that, all they could do was speculate, was that he had so exhausted himself in that process, he could not get out himself. And he drowned. And he died. And when I saw that story, I just couldn't help but think about Jesus, who, at the cost of his own life, 
gave us life. Got into the drowning circumstances and situations that we are all in. Set us free at the cost of His own life. Nobody made Him do it. Nobody forced Him to that cross and those nails. He jumped in. He, he took the plunge Himself. He chose to be our substitute so that we wouldn't perish. So, I wonder, how do you respond to that? Seriously, several weeks ago, someone that loves me, a family member uh, that lives in another state and city, sent me a gift. Isn't that nice? I love getting gifts, if you're wondering. The only thing is, I didn't know it had come. And so, um, which is probably commentary for my house, but uh, it had come in the mail, and Sherry had brought the mail in, and there was some other mail there, and it kind of got covered over. And I have a way of just coming and kind of, you know, moving mail around quickly to see if there's some bills that need my attention. And uh, I never saw this gift. And so it is literally weeks later, like this past week, that Sherry says, are you going to open that gift or what? And I'm like, what gift? And she goes, duh, the one that's over there in that pile of stuff that you haven't made your way through yet. And I go over there and there is this loving, substantive gift that no doubt was a sacrifice to the giver. And it had been given in love. It had been given... Uh, in a timely way. It had been given in a way that was costly. And it was near my possession, but I had no experience of it. I had no enjoyment of it. And friend, that is exactly the way it is for many of us regarding the saving work of Christ. He's already done it. He's already pursued you. He's already given voice to calling your heart toward Him. He's already made a gift of life to you that makes no difference for you until you respond to it, until you open it, until you appropriate it, until it comes into your life. And the word that describes that is surrender. In light of what we've been talking about today, will you surrender your life to Jesus. As Laurie helped us to see so clearly a few moments ago, I mean, you're here on a Sunday when it's beautiful out there. There's all kinds of things that you can be doing. So there's no question. You're a pretty good person. You're pretty moral. You're a good guy. You're a good gal. There's a lot of things to commend about your life. But if you're running the show, if you're making all the decisions, if you have not surrendered to Jesus so that He is Lord of your life, friend, you are lost. And you are still in, in just the perilous circumstance of the tide of your sin as if you'd never heard about Jesus. As if you'd never attended a church. As if you'd never been in the service. None of that matters if you've never surrendered to Him. And so the call today, the voice, is saying, will you surrender to Him? Will you give the totality of your heart, all that you know about yourself, to all that you know about Him, that He would be Lord of your life. 
And would you publicly identify with him about that? You see, it's a strange thing, and, and the Bible addresses it when Jesus you know, talked about it. If you're not going to be willing to own up to the fact that you're following me and that I'm your Lord, uh, if you're not willing to confess me before men, then I will not be willing to confess you before the Father. There's something about it being public. There's something about it being demonstrative that is important to our full surrender. Otherwise, we're just kind of like cutting deals and kind of wheeling and dealing and all that kind of stuff. And it, it never really matters. It, it just doesn't do that transforming thing. And so I'm, I'm asking you today, would you be willing to surrender to Christ and, and, and be public about that? And you go, well, what do you mean? How do you go about that? Well, one of the very first public steps anybody takes when they surrender to Christ is baptism. And you already heard Lori's story. She'd had that kind of experience as a child, but that had not been something that had been a part of her surrendering to the Lordship of Christ. And so, on one hand, friends, if you had an early childhood kind of baptism, that says a lot about your parents. They made a statement for you. But what we're talking about now is, have you reached a point at whatever age that you know you're lost, you know you need a Savior, you believe Jesus is that Savior, you surrender to His Lordship, and you go public about that, and you've marked it with a, a baptism. We're going to have a baptism service here in just a few weeks, and I want to encourage you to take that step with me on that day. And certainly there are other public steps after that where you willingly share about who Jesus is and what Jesus does in your life. Uh, you are a part of His mission then, where you are living the promise and sharing about the promise, and you become a voice to God calling someone else to Himself. Will you do that? Some of you, this is very legitimate. It's all happened for you but you never talk about it outside of a religious environment. Friends, you've got to go public. People are dying. They are drowning. They will spend forever away from God when His heart is that they spend forever with Him. And you're part of the voice that calls them to that. Let me pray for you. Father, we can't even conceive how awesome it is that You are a God of love and mercy, that You are a God who has pursued us, that You are a God that's paid the penalty for our sins, that You are a God who has invited us to know forgiveness and relationship with You. We just can't conceive what a great gift that is. So we pray for this moment that Your Spirit helps us to make sense of all that that the truth grips our heart. And Father, I want to pray for the friend that's listening right now that's still lost and still in sin drowning. God, would You stir in that heart? Would You convict that mind would you woo and draw that life to you? 
Jesus' name. Amen.